You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. The two sets of friends immediately hit it off and just after midnight, Hannah, David and their friends decided to head out onto the strip. They walked past fruit stands and various bars before settling on the popular AC Beach Bar. David said he wanted some cigarettes so headed out on his own. He made his way towards the main strip of bars and bought some cigarettes. CCTV tracks him heading back towards his room, alone. But David never made it back to his hotel room. And neither did Hannah. Red Rum is a podcast focusing on the true victims of crime. We have appeared in top true crime shows on Apple Podcasts in 12 countries. Each episode tells the story of a different case. Search Red Rum True Crime wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Hellions. I'm Johanna from Austria. And I'm Annie from the US. And you just heard Grace from the Red Rum True Crime podcast. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of your favorite international podcast. Before we start, we want to give a huge shout out to our first Patreon patrons, I guess. That's how we call them. (laughs) Yeah. You heard that right. We finally managed to set up our Patreon. Thanks once more to all the Hellions who kept asking us for that. We are truly blown away by all your support. Yeah. So here goes to our first patrons. Annie, you want to read out the names? Sure. All right. So this is our current list. This is amazing. We have the best listeners. So I'm very sorry if I mispronounce your name. We're using the name that you used when you signed up with Patreon. And so huge thanks to Laura S., Rhea Morena, Kimberly Carter, Louisa, Deb Lucas, Michael Amthor, Debbie Rice, Dean Petty, Kate Murphy, James Kelly, Emily Standridge, Sabrina and Terry, Riley Lippman. Oh, hey, Riley. Lorvette Ramirez. Thank you so much. This is, it's, this is a surprise. It's a delight. Thank you. Yes, you are the real MVPs for joining before we even had any content on there. I mean, (laughs) who are you? Oh, they're amazing. That's who they are. But thanks, Franz. I stole Franz from, some of you will know exactly what I stole it from, but it's from Schitt's Creek. It's the word that Moira Rose uses for fans who are her friends. And I like it because I'm still trying to come to terms with the idea that we have fans. It's just, I'm not the kind of person that have fans. We're just friends you haven't met yet. Yes, we're all friends who haven't met yet. Exactly. Yeah. So in any case, if you want to know how to join our Patreon or what we're offering there, we're going to talk about that at the end of the episode, but we don't want to take up any more time right now. We're going to dive right into today's episode, which is, I'm excited because Johanna's got a story for me. So what are we going to talk about today? (laughs) All right. I know it's not yet officially October. We are one day early, but spooky fuckery season is upon us and we thought it might be cool to do some 
spooky episodes for the month of October. And as a more light-hearted start, I want to tell you a few Austrian spooky stories and hauntings. Oh, this is exciting. So the first story I want to tell you is one of two ghosts who haunt a burg named Bernstein. Okay, Ferg Schloss. So I'm still not like 100% sure. Sometimes I think something is a burg, but actually it's a Schloss. But please continue. I think a burg is a, like a fortress castle and a Schloss is more of a family castle. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. More military. Yeah, yeah. I, st- I don't know, because every so often I'll say, oh, that's a Berg, and you'll say, nope, that's a Schloss. Like, I know for <laughs> sure the schlossiest Schloss. You know, some of them are super schlossy. They look like the Magic Kingdom castle, you know, it's yeah. for sure that's a Schloss, right? Or is that something totally different? I still don't know how to explain it to you. I think you have to be born here to really <laughs> To understand Berg Schloss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it, listen, that's, it's okay. <laughs> So the Burg Bernstein is in the Austrian state that carries the word Burg in its name, the Burgenland, which means land of Burgen. It's the easternmost Austrian state. It's long and narrow and has a population of 295,500 on an area of 3,961.8 square kilometers or 1,529.66 square miles. That means a population density of 74 people per square kilometer or 100 190 people per square mile. And if I remember correctly, it's the least populated state in Austria. And it's named Bergenland because it has so many Bergen? Is that? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So Bergenland became part of Austria after World War I, and the name is in remembrance of the fact that the area that used to be part of Hungary, which also was part of the Habsburger Empire, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that area consisted of three districts. That was Wieselburg, Ödenburg and Eisenburg. Yeah, and that's why it's still called Burgenland. The capital of Burgenland is Eisenstadt, and that's where the famous Austrian composer and so-called father of the string quartet, Josef Haydn, is buried. And even though we are not here to talk about Haydn, I have a true macabre story that involves the musical genius. Oh, I am here for it. So one of my dad's favorite things in the area here in Boston, we have the Handel and Haydn Society, which is, I think it's one of the earliest orchestra and chorale groups in the country. And every year they do the Messiah around Christmas time, which we had planned to do this year. But thanks to 2020, that's not happening. But I can't wait. This is great. Maybe you know the story already. I don't know. My dad will like it. Josef Haydn died on 31st of May 1809, and that was right at the time when Vienna was occupied by Napoleon. I think it was in the Theresia Kandel episode that we talked about that era. Yep. So the city was occupied and a big funeral was not possible, not even for the very famous composer. So Haydn was buried without any fuss. There is another thing you should know. The German doctor Franz Josef Gall was studying and practicing in Vienna from 1781 to 1805. Franz Josef Gall is the father of phrenology. Oh, yes. Okay. So the science, the pseudoscience, I think, that says mental traits in a person can be detected by examining the bumps and dents in their skull. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I've just always been amazed at the idea of this, of phrenology. Like, this little bump on my head means anything other than the fact I once fell off a boat trailer playing alligators in the sewer and knocked myself out. (laughs) There's still like a dent in my head there. It happens. There are alligators in the sewer. What are you going to do? 
So even though phrenology was the dernier cri in Vienna, the Austrian Emperor Franz II was not such a fan. In 1801, he had one of his ministers crack down on Dr. Gall and his private lectures as they did, quote, defy all principles of morals and religion, end quote. <laughs> in 1805, Dr. Gall was even expelled from Austria, which started something of an European tour for him. So what does that have to do with Haydn? Uh, when Haydn died, there were still many fans of phrenology in Vienna and wouldn't Wouldn't it be super if they could examine the head of a musical genius to determine where that character trait sits in the brain? So, a cemetery employee was found who could be bribed, and three days after Haydn's funeral, he opened the grave, no. severed the head from the body, and <gasps> then he took the bag with the already slightly smelly content to two gal fanatics named Josef Rosenbaum and Johann Peter. No. Yes. And nobody even knew that Josef Haydn was now headless for over 10 years until 1820. Count Esterhase decides to have uh, Haydn's body moved to a tomb in Eisenstadt. Oh, so wait, there was the Count could decide who's, where his body would go? Yeah, well, Haydn used to be the very, very beloved court conductor for the family Esterhase, and they have like their main residence in Eisenstadt. Gotcha. So they want to move Haydn's body to Eisenstadt. They find the body, they find the wig, they don't find the head. <sighs> I don't know how exactly, but pretty soon it was clear that only some weird phrenology stands could be responsible for the theft and Rosenbaum and Peter are found out. They vow to return Haydn's head, but only hand over a false head. The real head stays in <sighs> Vienna while, I guess, I don't know, the false one goes to Eisenstadt and Haydn's skull goes through many hands and has many owners if you want to call it owners, <laughs> over the decades. Until in 1895, it ends up at the Wiener Musikverein, where the head will stay for 30 years proudly on display. In the 1930s, Burgenland starts to fight for the musician's head, but Vienna doesn't want to cough it up. Only in 1938, it's finally decided that the head does need to be reunited with Haydn's body. But then World War II happens and there are bigger problems, and Haydn will have to wait until 5th of July 1954 to not be headless anymore. I hope you haven't turned this episode off by now. <laughs> no, oh, I guarantee you no one is annoyed you took the time to tell us about Haydn's head. I had no idea. I know I said this is going to be about ghosts, and then, you know, now I keep talking about Burgenland and headless Haydn. But honestly, how could I have not talked about this? No, you had to talk about it. It's it's too good. It's good stuff. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's definitely right up our alley. And I'd say a headless musician is fitting for a, let's call it, yay, it's Halloween season episode, right? <laughs> the first of the season. All right. So, but now on to Austrian ghosts. Now, why did I tell you all this about Burgenland? Because our first two ghosts reside in a burg in Burgenland in the Burg Bernstein. Construction of Burg Bernstein started in 1199 and in 1604 the castle Bernstein was unsuccessfully besieged for weeks by a combined army consisting of Hungarians, Turks and Tatars. Therefore, it was turned into a so-called Fluchtburg, a refuge for the people who lived in the surrounding settlement. Fun fact, do you know where the word suburb comes from? Mm, no, I... No, I don't. It comes from the Latin word suburbium, which in medieval times was what a settlement outside of a burg was called. Ah, okay. Isn't that cool? Yeah, definitely. Due to an explosion of the gunpowder storeroom, parts of Burg Bernstein were destroyed and the Gothic inner part of the castle was rebuilt in Baroque style. Today, Burg Bernstein is partly a hotel and restaurant and you can celebrate weddings there, for example. 
I also want to mention that the Burg Bernstein was sold to the family Almaschi in 1892 and they still own it to this day. And you might know the most famous member of this family who is Laszlo Almaschi and the book and or movie The English Patient is very, and I mean very, very loosely based on Laszlo's life. Okay. Did you watch the movie? I did. I saw it actually in the theater when I was in college and at the time I didn't love it. I think I just thought it was really sad. I don't know if I'm re even remembering correctly, but... It's sad. It's very sad, yeah. Yeah. I just remember thinking, that was really sad. I don't want to watch that again. <laughs> and I haven't. Yeah. I remember, I thought the cinematography was beautiful, though. Yeah, very beautiful. Now, the ghosts. So, the first one is the so-called White Lady of Bernstein. Oh, it's a classic. <laughs> I know. Why is it always a white lady? What's with all the white ladies? I know. And mostly they are sad. The White Lady of Bernstein is no different. So the first known sighting of her is apparently in the year 1859. And she is described as very slender, very petite, with long flowing hair. And on her head she has some sort of a crown. She has a huge key ring on a belt around her waist. And some kind of white veil covers her from head to toes. <laughs> it's like a spooky ghost sheet, but like fancy. It's like silk organza, not sheet material. Yeah, I think it's like more like yeah. a sheer kind of thing. Yes, it's <laughs> going to be Casper. nice. Yes, we should do that. Our first live show is just wear all of our wedding veils. I've got a few. Just <laughs> layer that shit up, float on out. It's good that stuff. would be like great expectations then or what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that sounds scary though. It's That's a very detailed, that's a lot of information for a ghost. So I, I'm thinking people have seen her. Yeah, there's more. So she holds her folded hands up to her left cheek and has a very sad look on her face while she stares into blank space. Some say her folded hands are hiding a wound. Others say they are hiding the handle of a stiletto knife that is stuck in her neck. When she shows herself, she always gestures to the living to follow her, then floats up and down some stairs, looks out some windows and finally reaches the chapel where she kneels in front of the altar to pray and then she just vanishes. Oh, that's spooky. But listen, no disrespect, but if I'm following a ghost around a haunted castle up and down stairs, and then at the end we end up in church, I don't know. I feel like that's the sort of bait and switch my mom would do if she was a ghost. <laughs> Get your ass to church. <laughs> Apparently in 1912, she was seen by not only the owner of the Burg Bernstein and his family, but also by a bunch of local villagers during a torch parade of the local firefighters. And everything about this sentence in English makes me laugh a lot. <laughs> no, I think it's I think it's great. I'm super curious now because it really seems like people have seen her. It seems valid. And please tell me a little bit more about this torch parade. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like something it's something for the local firefighters. I mean, yeah, we have torch parades here like for religious like Easter or um, Corpus Christi or things like that. Yeah. But doesn't it sound counterproductive to have a torch parade for the firefighters? <laughs> Yeah. Or, or are the firefighters having the torch parade? I don't know. I think both is possible. I think I've yeah. seen both. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So one legend says that the white lady was the Italian wife of the lord of the castle who lived there at some time in the 16th century. And her husband caught her cheating with either his servant, his secretary or her Italian childhood sweetheart. He killed oh. the rival with a step to the heart and either threw his wife into the well. Oh, 
like our international episode story with the haunted castle and the haunted well. Yes, yes, exactly. So either she went down the well or was walled into a room and left to die. It looks as if these are the two most reliable methods to get a white lady in a burg, right? Yeah, I agree. These are the big two. If you're wanting a ghost, it really does seem like wells and walls are the way to go. It's terrible news. I love it. Tell me more. (laughs) <laughs> the legend also says that one night after he had murdered his wife, the Count was lying in his bed when all of a sudden the door swung open and in walked, or rather floated, his dead wife, all in white surrounded by a glistening light. And the Count managed to yell for help and tell his servant before he died from a heart attack that his dead wife was there. To be fair, this story or legend was only starting to spread in the 1950s because that's when they started to call her either Giovanna or Catalina Frescobaldi. Ah, okay. In 1929, a man with the name Johannes Illig conducted a real and serious paranormal investigation. That's how it was called, which I find amazing. So it was real and serious. (laughs) As opposed to the fake and ridiculous paranormal. Uh, To be fair, I think I've seen both sorts. so. So he talked to eyewitnesses and read several reports from sightings of the White Lady throughout the decades. And most witness reports stated that the crown she's wearing looks like a Hungarian parta, which is a traditional Hungarian headdress. Makes sense, uh, given that up until the end of World War I, Burgenland belonged to Hungary and the lords of Burg Bernstein were Hungarians, right? Sure. After this investigation, Illig concluded that the White Lady was not a hallucination, not a fake, not a scam, but definitely real. And a so-called residual haunting as most eyewitnesses actually never reported her waving or signaling to follow her, but that she seemed as if she had no perception of her surrounding. Right, sure. So a residual haunting... uh, Do you want me to explain what it is? Because I'm the one into ghosts. Yeah. Yeah, it's when when a haunting... There's intelligent and residual. And with a residual haunting, it's more like you're just watching a film that repeats itself on a somewhat regular basis. But the ghosts that are involved in a residual haunting, they wouldn't interact with you at all. They'd walk through you like they weren't there. Or these are the ghosts that walk through walls because, you know, there used to be a doorway there Mm. back in the day, that kind of thing. And for those of you who are rolling your eyes, I have heard some very interesting theories about residual hauntings having to do with quantum string theory that I am not going to explain that you're on your own for that one. But it's really interesting. And you just you never know. Yep. You never know. Now I really want to go here. So the white lady is not the only ghost in Bernstein, because another one has taken up permanent residence in the burg, the so-called Schloss Hansel. Oh, does that have a meaning? Uh, you could translate it to Castle Johnny, and please do not confuse him with Johnny Castle, though, because <laughs> Johnny Castle has the moves, Castle Johnny doesn't. <laughs> uh, he's also called Red Ivan. Uh, but his name in real life was Johannes I of Güssing or Johannes I of Güss or Johannes I of Heda. It's all the same, yeah? Sure. He lived from 1235 to 1308. And of course, like so many male medieval ghosts, he was known for his mean temper, his cruelty, and overall it looks as if he was not the most pleasant person to be around. He was also called the Red Knight. He had flaming red hair, a flaming red beard, and liked to dress in flaming red clothes. Nice. Another classic, really. Yeah. Is his hair actually flaming? Like he's a fire face? <laughs> or is he just very red in color? Like No, he's just really, really red. Okay. The hair is just really red. Flaming hair and a flaming beard would be cool, though. Right? right? <laughs> it would be unexpected. 
Is you see a ghost and he turns around, it's just fireface. I wouldn't like that, I don't think. It's bad news. I mean, that sounds more like a demon. It does. Yeah. I don't like it. Okay. So he likes to show up unexpectedly in different places in the castle and outside of the castle. One cannot confuse him with another ghost as he is the one that is all in red. Red hair, red beard, red waistcoat, uh, oh, and he has super mad eyes. I don't know if they're red too, but uh, he has very mean eyes. Oh, I hope they're not red. Oh, I think I'd rather see Fireface than something with red eyes. Red eyes is really bothers me. It's very creepy to me. Yeah, maybe he just had an eye infection when he died. He just had pink eye, real bad. I think I might be getting pink eye. Opus licked my open eyeball the other day, and uh. I'm just waiting. <laughs> I'm just waiting for pink eye now. <laughs> how quarantine works. The Schloss Hansel doesn't always show himself. Sometimes you just hear him. His heavy steps on the stairs and down the hallways, his deep loud laughter and the rattling of his armor. Uh, he also likes to open all doors and closets in the surrounding at once. Oh, that's startling. That can be scary. Mm. Yeah, that would do a real startle. Many eyewitnesses see him suddenly appearing in their room. For example, a Russian soldier who spent some time at Burg Bernstein reports that he woke up one night only to find a man in his room, tall and slender, on his head an old Hungarian helmet, his face hidden in the shadow of the helmet. He was wearing a chainmail armor that showed the red sleeves of the coat he was wearing under it. Also yellow gloves and brown pants and brown boots. The soldier, he was thinking that the fellow soldier he shared the room with was trying to prank him. So he tries to address the figure like go back to bed, I guess. <laughs> right, yeah. Suddenly, the figure bends down to the soldier and shows his face. The face of a 50-something old man with a red beard and mad eyes. In shock, the soldier cries for help, which wakes up his roommate, who of course didn't see anything. Red Ivan is gone, and upon inspection, they find the doors to their room is still locked from the inside. So, okay. I don't like that at all. Red Ivan sounds like an intelligent haunting. With an intelligent haunting, they can interact with the living. And if ghosts scare you, then they can definitely be scary. I think intelligent hauntings are scarier. Yes, I find the thought of intelligent hauntings to be the scariest one. Because while a residual one is just like a videotape playing over and over, imagining a ghost who is aware of the surrounding and able to manipulate things, it's like, ugh, no thank you. Yeah, hard pass. But don't worry, you're safe, because you don't believe in ghosts, right? Well... Oh. Something happened to make you change your mind. <laughs> well, let's say it like this. After experiencing the loss of my dad, I'm now more open to the idea of it, I guess. I guess I'm slowly getting there. I don't know. No, it's really interesting to me because I actually wanted to ask you, this was one of the questions I have been making little notes of questions, random questions I have for you. Usually I'm high at the time and like, oh, I wonder if Johanna likes peanut butter, <laughs> things like that. So, and I, I just write them down for later on when we have a Patreon. And I had down, I wanted to ask if your feelings on ghosts had changed because my first traumatic loss is what changed things for me, right? It's like mm -hmm. all of a sudden I didn't find ghosts as scary. It was more, I'm interested. I want to know more. I want to, you know. Yeah. But I thought it might be too soon to talk about it. So we'll get into it more later. This is definitely sort of Patreon chat. But yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about this with you because I was super surprised that you were doing ghost stories and I'm loving it. I really, this is great. So yeah, what's next? On to the next Austrian ghost story. And this one is sad. It's it's oh. a modern ghost. It's the Black Lady of the Pinzgauer Bundesstraße. So Pinzgau is one of the districts of the Austrian state Salzburg. You know, Sound of Music. 
Legend has it that in 1980 a young waitress drove home one night after her shift had finished and she either had an accident or was or her car broke down on some train tracks and she was hit by a train or something like that. The accounts differ there a little bit. Some people even say that she was not killed immediately but lay there crying for help for quite some time. Oh no. I know. After the accident, several people stated that a mysterious young woman dressed all in black was trying to hitchhike on the Pinskauer Bundesstraße, which is like a highway. Is it a highway? Would you call it a highway? A I highway? So. Yeah. It's not, not the thing that's an interstate, but... Not not a barn, but a highway. Yeah. Yeah. According to the drivers who actually agreed to give her a ride, they would only be driving for a couple of hundred meters before she would tell them, quote, if you wouldn't have stopped, you would have had a horrible car crash tonight, end quote. And then she would just vanish. Oh, okay. See, that one gave me goosebumps. And I know that we'll talk more about this again probably more of a Patreon topic, but you know, like the what ifs we get when we've lost someone. What if I'd done this or hadn't done that? And it's yeah. so hard to get over those what ifs. And so this is just super goosebumpy for me. Yeah. You just, this one really does give me goosebumps. And of course, we don't know the ones who denied her request because maybe they could all be dead. Yeah, exactly. Now, yeah. I do think that this one is really just a legend and the Archdiocese Salzburg agrees with me. <laughs> but the reason why I don't think that it could be real, it's it's just such a common legend in many different countries. When I read this story, I immediately had to think of a story that my first husband used to tell me. He actually had a lot of very creepy and good, scary stories. Mexico is full of these kind of things. So he told me about the ghost of a young woman who stopped truck drivers on a winding road in the mountains. And if you accepted to give her a ride, she would get in the car. And then while the truck was driving again, she would suddenly disappear, which if you were not prepared for it, could scare you so much that you could drive off the street and down the mountain. Do you have a similar legend in the States? I know there are so many urban legends and stories to tell kids around the campfire. Oh, yeah, definitely. Lots, lots of women in white on the side of the road, lots of highway stories. Maybe I'll have some for you next week or sometime this month. It is spooky fookery month after all. Yeah. <laughs> So, in Switzerland, they have a similar story of the white lady of the Belchentunnel. And according to the story that circulated in the early 1980s, it's a middle-aged woman, all dressed in white, and she stopped drivers before they drove into the tunnel and warned them about a horrible accident that was about to happen. Interestingly enough, the first time the Belgian ghost was reported in 1980, it was actually a man all in white. He was one of the disappearing kind of ghosts while the car was driving full speed. And later on, the ghost was reported to be a woman. And many people talked about their interaction with her. Even newspapers reported about sightings. And the police in the area received a lot of phone calls. Oh, so were people calling and saying, I just talked to a ghost? Yes, yes. And I even think I read that they charge you if you would call about the ghost because so many calls came in like a hysteria. Oh, it really? was a hysteria. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The ghost even made it into the 1983 edition of the book Baselbiter Sagen. What is the Baselbiter Sagen? Is that something Basel we should... Baselbiter, it means the Baselbiter is the area around Basel. Okay. And Sagen is legends, kind legends. of legends. Gotcha. Okay. While we in German, we use legends for um, stories that include saints. And everything else is sagen. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> it's fine. So two female lawyers picked up an inconspicuously dressed, clumsy, pale, middle-aged woman. And when they later asked her if she was feeling better because she looked so pale and clumsy, she answered, quote, no, 
Unfortunately not. I am not well at all. Something really awful is going to happen. Something very dreadful. End quote. Oh. And when the two women looked into the rear window to look at the hitchhiker, she was gone. Oh. Yeah, that's also creepy. Although, I think... What would you rather, have somebody in your backseat who suddenly disappeared, or having nobody in your backseat and then somebody appears? Uh, the first one, definitely. Yeah, me too. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> 100%. But back to ghosts and hauntings in Austria. Because last but not least, I want to tell you about the infamous and famous ghosts that haunt our beautiful capital, Vienna. Yes, please. So first we have uh, Elisabeth Bathory. Yes, you heard correctly. I really don't want to get into too much detail about her life, as we might do a whole episode on her further down the road. Oh, we're definitely doing a whole episode on her further down the road. Yeah, yeah I think so. Oh, yeah. But for those of you who don't know, so she was a Hungarian countess who lived from 1560 to 1614. And she's probably one of the most notorious female serial killers in history, which earned her the title Blood Countess. She was accused of torturing and killing over 600 young women, even though this number is highly debatable. Rumors and legends state that she bathed in the blood of her victims to keep her youthful appearance. That reminds me, anyhow, is your snail cream treating you? <laughs> I, I love the snail cream. At first I thought it was gonna... So, sorry, I don't know if our listeners know that Johanna helped me out because I just needed a new skincare regimen and so I know she's really into it. And so she put this whole thing together and it's all snails, snail things. Not all, it's Korean skincare. It's amazing. It's a little bit of snail. <laughs> It's very high in snail. And I thought it was going to be just like snails on my eyes, moon snails. Just stick one on each eyeball at night. Act like a sleeping mask too. Keep it nice and dark. But that's not how it works. It's a cream. <laughs> and my under eye bags have never been softer. They feel like Louis Vuitton luggage under my eyes. And we have to say the snails are not harmed. Yeah, no, the snails are not harmed. When we were at the beach with Opus last week, I took a picture of a moon snail because... Uh, I don't think I sent it to you yet. I'll I'll share it in the Facebook group yeah, so you yeah, can you all see what me. I thought was going to go on our on my eyes. But <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan. Okay, so Elizabeth Bathory. Oh, she's so bad. This bloodthirsty or allegedly bloodthirsty woman stayed in Vienna now and then at first together with her husband in their Viennese residence, the so-called Hungarian house in the Augustinerstraße 12, first district, of course. Of course. I, it's funny. Every time you mention districts, I think of the Hunger Games. <laughs> so after her husband's death, she travels to Vienna alone, accompanied by her loyal servants, to spend the winters there. The Countess hires young maids who are, according to lore, never seen again. And during the nights, a lot of racket is coming from the Hungarian house. And it's so loud that the monks from the Augustina cloister across the street throw clay jugs through the closed windows, demanding <laughs> that the noise stops immediately. <laughs> that's a lot of noise. When you've, yeah. when you've angered the monks like that, that's, <laughs> it's a step too far. So to this day, many believe the Hungarian house to be haunted, but is it the blood countess Elizabeth Bathory herself who wanders through the rooms or some of her victims? Oh, I hope it's her and her victims are off having fun on the other side. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. So another famous person who apparently returned to Vienna after his death is Giacomo Casanova, the world famous adventurer 
author and lover from Venice. He had spent some time in the Habsburgian capital and you might remember from the Czech Unterwega episode I told you about the strict moral code Empress Maria Theresia had introduced to her empire. You know, uh, prostitution, adultery, homosexuality, they were all punishable by law. Sex workers were banished to Brabant and she had a bureau of chastity with more than 500 commissioners working in Vienna. Wow. It's so crazy. They had the right to enter private domiciles. They were allowed to use corporal punishment and torture and they had spies and informants all over the city. So she took this really seriously. Oh, wow. Yeah. And now imagine how great this city must have been for Casanova. <laughs> and now imagine how happy Maria Theresia must have been to have Casanova in Vienna. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, oh, yeah. yeah. So the first time he was apparently arrested for public urination in the 18th century. There you oh. go. After a while, he was completely banished from Vienna. Now, it looks as if Casanova is still holding a grudge because his ghost in the form of grey fog is reported to float through the streets of Spittelberg, that's the 6th district, looking for all the secret brothels that used to be located in the area when he was staying in Vienna. And from time to time, the Casanova fog makes its way to Schönbrunn Castle, I assume to complain about the treatment he had received in Vienna back in the 18th century. Okay, but he's a fog. <laughs> he's a mm. fog? You know I'm a believer. But does fog otherwise just never appear in the area? Because maybe could it just be fog? Yeah, sometimes fog is just fog. Okay, you see some weird gray fog floating around. How do you know? Oh, that must be Casanova, his ghost. I don't know. Exactly. If it's just a fog, does it like drop rose petals behind it or <laughs> smell like syphilis? I don't know. <laughs> like what? <laughs> How do you? I honestly don't think it's Casanova. I'm sure <laughs> if he is a ghost, he has better things to do with his time than being a fog. One would hope. <laughs> One would hope. I mean, listen, being a fog in Spittelberg isn't probably the worst thing, but yeah, it's it's not great. So the last ghost for today is one from the US. Oh. And it's none less than Walt Disney's ghost. Really? Walt Disney? Okay. How so? What happened? Okay. So he came to visit Vienna for the first time in 1935, I think, and he fell in love with this beautiful city of ours. And rumor has it that the uniforms of the Wiener Sängerknaben, so the Viennese boys choir, was inspired mm. by Walt Disney and my personal Disney hero, Donald Duck. Indeed, the boys are wearing a sailor's uniform that looks a lot like Donald's little sailor suit, but it was not Walt Disney who gave the ideas to these uniforms. In fact, the uniform is in place since 1924, when it replaced a military uniform. The reason for sailor suits was the fact that it was common in upper-middle-class and upper-class families to dress their little boys in sailor suits. Still is. But Walt Disney did indeed inspire part of the uniform. The Austrian emblem, the eagle that the boys wear on the left side of their chest. Walt did suggest to add this emblem to the uniform. I think he did this during filming of the movie uh, Gruß aus Wien. In the US it's called Almost Angels. And that movie centers around a group of boys who sing in the choir. So, okay, Walt Disney really liked Vienna. He used to stay in the Hotel Imperial, which is one of the... No, I'd say it's it's the luxury hotel in Vienna. It's where all guests of state are staying, so oh, nice. you get the idea. Yeah. Nowadays, the ghost of Walt Disney can be seen wandering the streets surrounding the hotel. He loves to do that on warm spring and summer nights, because who wouldn't? And he is reported to be surrounded by beautiful light and looking very happy and friendly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's 
nice, I guess. That's <laughs> full, that seems full disclosure. Like... I think none of the famous Viennese ghosts are really like. I don't think that's yeah. You don't think any of them? What about the one that so many people saw though? No, no. I mean, just the the last three in Vienna, the famous oh, yeah. Viennese ghosts. Yeah, yeah. I the... think it's just humbug. <laughs> Well, unless he's an intelligent haunt and just goes every so often, you know, to spend time in places he likes. Like, I wouldn't mind that if you could just go back, you know, to places you enjoyed. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, for a little visit. That was a delight. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That was a more lighthearted episode as we are moving into spooky season. I love these ghost stories. You know, I never get tired of them. I just... I love them. I really do. Even though some of them I do find a bit creepy and I'll lie awake at night thinking, uh, thinking about, you know, people appearing and disappearing in the backseat. <laughs> it's scary. Yeah, no, that's not, that's no fun. No, I don't like that. But you think ghosters are good, right? I do. Do you have yeah. something else that's good this week? <laughs> something good? Yes. Wasn't that smooth? <laughs> so it was so smooth. We're getting really good at these transitions. <laughs> Did you practice that one? I need to up my game in every way possible. But yeah, my something good is your torch parade actually just brought back a memory of being in torch parades as a kid. So we'd go with a couple of families. My family would go with a few other families up to Quiji, Vermont every year. We'd go between Christmas and New Year's. And Quiji has a tiny little ski slope. And the condo that we would rent, uh, you could you could put your skis on uh, the front door and ski through the woods a little bit and right down onto the hill. And then the end of the day, you know, you'd get off the chairlift and go back through the woods and get home. So it was amazing. I loved it. And the adults had the bedrooms and us kids slept in sleeping bags on the floor or there were pullout couches. And on New Year's Eve, we were part of a group on skis with lit flaming torches. Again as kids, on <laughs> skis. So everybody's mittens would have burns in them. And there was like an occasional stop, drop and roll because <laughs> you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have, it's, I, I've never struggled skiing without poles. It's fine. But some, some people really do like kind of flail around a lot. So yeah, every so often, like one kid would accidentally light another kid on fire <laughs> or... <laughs> someone's hat would go up in flames and the person skiing behind them would yank it off their head and throw it in the snow. It was fun times in the 80s. Yeah, just the odd stop, drop and roll, but it was a good time. And we'd ski down the mountain with our torches on New Year's Eve. And then the next day was New Year's Day and the sound of music would be on. I just, I don't know. I used to really love skiing. It was, it's one of the few sports I was ever any good at. I don't really have a competitive streak in me. I don't know about you, but playing like youth soccer or basketball yeah, in no. gym class mm -hmm. is like, oh, you clearly want this ball more than I do. Just take it. Like, <laughs> I'm not interested in breaking a nail. You can have it. I'm not. I just don't. Whatever that thing is, I don't have it. But I love yeah, skiing. Yeah, all the team sports, that's just not for me. No, no, me neither. And my Aunt Ree took me and my sister Moose to Colorado for my 13th birthday to Steamboat Springs, which was amazing. I haven't been skiing since 2004. It's been too long, but I think I could maybe still do like the long greens and the long blues. Just no more, no more bumps or jumps or anything crazy. We'll see. Do you ski? No. Well, I went skiing when I was in school the first time I broke my leg, which was not oh, fun. No. And the next year I tried again. I really liked skiing, but it's just, I, I was never good at Here in Austria, most families do ski. Sure. But mine is not a skiing family. So yeah, yeah I never learned. Yeah. 
something good. My family, as I mentioned um, them already, is my something good this week. I love it that every time we're very close-knit, but every time there is, you know, there are problems or something like this, we really stick together. I know not everybody has the fortune to have like a very close-knit family. And so I'm really, really thankful for my family. And that's my something good this week. Oh, yeah, that's an excellent something good. I feel the same way. My family is small and very close. And yeah, that's a good something good. All right. What else do we have? Patreon. Yes. Patreon. Thanks again, everyone who's signed on. If you want to check out our Patreon and our tiers we have and what we offer, you can find it via our webpage www.freshhellpodcast.com you find the link there or you go to Patreon and type in Fresh Hell Podcast in the in the search and you will find us I'm going to spend all my Patreon money on weird vintage hats and fascinators <laughs> to wear to our eventual live shows and get togethers no I'm kidding we would really actually love to hire some artists for new merch I need a new laptop you need editing equipment I need a therapist we both need soundproofing stuff so yeah, yeah right yeah. <laughs> our ad revenue just about pays for our hosting costs so it will be nice if we can put money back into the podcast to make it the best we can yeah so please go to patreon.com there are three levels of monthly support check it out yeah and please uh, it's time for us to as we do every week beg for a review if you enjoyed this episode and you enjoy the podcast we would love it if you could leave us a review on Apple iTunes I know it's kind of a hassle sometimes they make you log in again but we we really do appreciate it and it helps other people to find us yes you can also please come say hi in our Facebook group it's a really nice group there's a ton of pin posts when you when you arrive so you'll see we have a pin post for other podcast recommendations. We have a pet post. We have a post for quarantine and another one for how much 2020 blows. It's just a really fun, eclectic, interesting corner of the internet. And it's no surprise, all of our listeners are just an absolute delight. So it's really been a joy. And it's kind of the only reason I go on Facebook anymore. Yeah. Is there anything else? What are we forgetting? Well, if you want to know all the ways how to find us, uh, how to contact us, where you can find our merch, just go to our webpage. As I said before, it's freshhellpodcast.com. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's it for this week. That's it. Thanks so much. Please make sure you say hello to your pets for us. Yes, we love them. We really do. We really do. And uh, until next week, if you yourself are going through hell, keep going. Tschüss. Bye. Ooh, Ooh spooky. <laughs> All right. <laughs>